Our passion didn't start with a mouth. It started with people, with the well-being of the profession. And if you're like me, maybe a little bit of your nerdiness and all things tech too. We all want to love what we do, but the truth is burnout, people problems, and glass ceilings can keep us from doing what we set out to do. So let's get back to the heart of connection. Welcome to the Dental Handoff. This show is about passing you the knowledge, the habits, the systems, and the strategies to lead your teams, lean on your tech, and listen to your gut while you take care of people and truly the overall health of our communities. Let's stop using the wrong end of the toothbrush, y'all. My name is Dr. Kelly Tanner. Oh, and uniquely, I'm a dental hygienist too. You can consider me a guru in the dental and leadership industry. With over three decades of experience, my goal is to take you to the next level by empowering growth, perspective, and confidence. By identifying the gaps, recognizing the plaque, and extracting the truth with the other experts in the field. I'll share their stories, empower you to own yours, and elevate your passion in the process. So have a seat in the chair, put on your bib, and let's get to work. Hello, everyone. Dr. Kelly Tanner, welcome to The Dental Handoff. Today, I have with me Dr. Travis Campbell, also lovingly known as the dental insurance guy. Travis, thank you so much for being on today. My pleasure. Good to be with you here, Kelly. Yeah, he just he just flew back in from California, was able to make it on the show. We met in St. Louis about, oh my gosh, has it been almost a month ago now? Two weeks, three weeks? Has it? Oh my gosh, time has just gone. It all starts to blend. But I am always intrigued by people's stories. And, you know, it's always, how did you get from doing this to this? So Travis, we always start out with, why dentistry? Or did it choose you or did you choose it? I guess that depends on your definition of which is choosing which. <laughs> um, you know, I grew up, my father hated the dentist. He had a lot of bad experiences. A lot of my friends didn't like going to the dentist. So it was weird because I always enjoyed it. I had a great you know, childhood dentist. And really, ever since I was like three or four, I was interested and want to be a dentist. And of course, my parents at that age were like, no, you just change your opinion, not a big deal. And it just never changed. So I don't know whether that means it picked me or I picked it, but I've always wanted to be a dentist. So what did you, what drew you to it? Like, what about it made you want to be a dentist? Was it the people? Was it the artistry? What was it? I mean, we have a lot of fun toys. I mean, that's one cool thing that, you know, we got drills and, you know, instruments and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, But I, again, it, maybe it was the curiosity of, I always had a great experience and a lot of people I knew didn't. And it was the, well, why? I don't know. It was science-based and math-based, which I was always good with. Um, And of course, you know, later in life, it's, you get to help people. So that's always fun, you know, and now I get to help people either as a dentist or going around talking. So it, it works both ways. Yeah. You're, so you're outside of those four walls. Well, in your case, it's more than four walls because it's operatory, operatory, operatory. As a hygienist, a lot of times it's just four walls because we're just in one spot. So you went from, did you go straight from dental school into private practice or did you have a residency or what'd you do? No, I went straight in. I was 
I don't know whether this was a good idea or not, but I opened an office immediately upon graduating. Um, worked somewhere else for nine months while I built a patient base. And then I've been at that office for 15 years. So. Oh, wow. Okay. In your hometown of in Texas? No, I grew up in Houston, went to dental school, Baylor and Dallas, and then opened an office in Prosper, north of Dallas. Okay. So, I don't know. I, Houston... By that point in time, my parents had already moved out of Houston, and Houston's got a lot of traffic and some other challenges. So I had no real interest in going back hometown. Dallas was a better area. I like the weather here better. Oh, yeah. Houston, man, it, it it's hot, and then it just rains. and doesn't stop raining, and it's just rain. So then you practiced, and then you decided, I want to help people out with insurance. What experience happened to you that had that, ah? I'm going to do that in this. You know, at the beginning, dental insurance frustrated me, as I think it frustrates most of us. And, you know, I was on Dentaltown and Facebook and a few other platforms just looking for answers, you know, early in my career. I could never find them. Like, either people didn't talk about it, didn't know about it, or what they did talk about didn't make sense, given other materials like contracts or laws or anything else. And so, it just got me searching researching, you know, finding solutions. And once I did, you know, a few people found out about it and started asking me questions. And that led into some of them wanting me to do like a little mini seminar locally. And and just the questions kept coming. And so I had to keep finding better ways to answer and start recording and, you know, kind of transitioned from there. It wasn't really, I can't say it was really any intentional thing until maybe about three years ago. So so how, do, how are you doing both? Because you're still practicing dentistry. So how are you balancing both? So I clinically work two days a week. I have an associate that works two days a week. So our office is still basically a one dentist office. Um, and that gives me freedom to you know deal with the CE and education and speaking and traveling and such. Yeah. You went from uh, local homegrown, people asking you, what was your first like largest ask for uh, on the speaking circuit? You know, dentures are not necessarily the easiest thing in the world to provide. I mean, you're basically doing a full mouth rehab on somebody that just lost their teeth. So that was one of the challenges. And then the way at least a lot of people deal with insurance coding on dentures leads to very low profitability versus, you know, we talk, you know, I talk to people about how to change your coding and change your process a little bit, which actually matched more of what we learned in dental school on how to do dentures hmm. that ended up working really well. And now they're one of the more profitable things that we do, um, partially due to efficiency and partially due to just coding and you know reimbursements and things like that. So I'd actually almost rather do dentures than anything else because they're one of our best procedures. Um, but I will say I know why a lot of people don't like them is because they were doing them the w- same way people told me to do them when I graduated, which doesn't work. You know, you can't, I don't know, you can't just try to make one denture immediately after surgery because there's too many expectations, too many changes, too many things that happen. And so we always plan for two, which means we always get paid for two. Ah, okay. So you, you got, you got asked that question a lot. And then what is the, the draw? What, what are the other pain points that, that 
practice owners, maybe even do insurance companies contact you as well for your advice from that point out? Or is it provider? Is it kind of, you know what I'm saying? Is it? Yeah. Um, So to speak sometimes. (laughs) Most of the time it's the dentist because a majority of the frustration is on the dentist side. Now I will say I have talked to a few people at insurance companies, whether they're reviewers or VPs or, you know, other things. Um, I'm happy to talk to both sides. I mean, that's, I guess what I would say is my like, little niche is I can be really good at connecting the dots between, you know, both of them have concerns, both insurance companies and dentists. And in most cases, their concerns aren't mutually exclusive. They're not really at odds with each other. If you look at it from a bigger picture and actually realize what we both want is achievable, it just sometimes takes out of the box thinking. So I have a lot of fun with that. Um, but a majority of the people who contact me are dentists or offices or team members that you know are having challenges, frustrations. Either they're getting denials, which you know we have almost no denial rates, but a lot of that's documentation that we provide. So I do a lot of education on you know how to get the insurance company what they want. Which, of course, makes us happy because it means we get paid, makes the insurance company happy because they don't have to spend time dealing with as many appeals and challenges. Um, So it's, I I get to connect the dots. I get to make things better for both sides, which is fun. Yeah. So tell us about, and I know that when you and I spoke, I've probably asked you a million questions and some of these may be the same, but what are... When you talk about documentation of procedures, what what should a provider be documenting? What what does an insurance company say? Oh, okay, yeah, that's enough. And I know it's probably procedure specific. You know, with your basic stuff, your hygiene, your exams, X-rays, things like that. That's all computer processed. So if you're getting a denial, it's because you put something wrong in there, or because the policy has a limitation and no amount of fighting it's going to deal with anything. So throwing the limitations up front, which is more of the education for the team and the office side of things. But when it comes to the larger procedures, you know, crown scaling and root planing, um, a lot of that's purely documentation. So, and the challenge that comes up is while certain amounts of documentation 20, 30, 40 years ago would have gotten reimbursement, times have changed. Insurance companies have seen more fraud on the dentist side and are dealing with more AI to you know, process claims. So the level of documentation requirements has increased over the decades. And if dentists haven't kept up with that increased requirement, then they're going to be struggling more and more with, you know, denials. So for instance, I tell people really, I have, I don't see how an office survives without an internal camera in every operatory nowadays. Um, they're super cheap. I mean, you're talking two, $300 a camera. So you don't need a $6,000 camera to get what you need. You just need something inexpensive that can get you what you want. Um, but the funny part is I get a lot of dentists that ask me, they're like, well, why do we have to do all this extra stuff for insurance? And yet my response always is, well, if you have an internal camera and use it on a regular basis, you'll find out that you almost use it more for the patient than you use it for the insurance company. Like it's so much better to explain things to patients to say, you know, if you did a filling and the patient comes back and they're like, my tooth hurts, it's your fault. But you have a picture of what the cavity looked like inside the tooth. 
that whole concept changes and now it's about the tooth as opposed to the dentist who screwed up the tooth. So I, I would use the camera regardless That's right. um, for what we're doing. But it works really well for reimbursement. So. Yeah, so, so photos, pictures of teeth, of course, documenting in the notes. And then on the dental chart, are they looking at that? So for perio, you know, your big thing. Yes, absolutely. And it's funny, the number one reason I see perio claims denied is an incomplete perio chart. Yes, I know. I talk about this all the time. What's the part that's missing? Tell me. Central margins. I know. Listen, if my students are listening to this, I tell you all the time, I'm like, you've got to put your gingival margins because they can't look at the clinical attachment levels with without that number. So put in your numbers, even if it's a zero, put it in, right? Absolutely. Because if you put in nothing, it is assumed to be negative two, which is normal. And therefore, your five millimeter pocket is actually a three millimeter pocket. And therefore, it's not necessary to do any treatment on that wow. site. So I, that's the problem. Is And I will say I get multiple offices and dentists a week sending me failed SRP claims. And 99% of them, it's the perio chart that's the problem. I've had, okay. I'm not going to say which provider. I've had providers telling me, tell me over the years of consulting that their belief is, is that there has to be radiographic calculus in order for a, for a claim to be approved. Tell me about that. Now, there are a couple of policies that sort of stick to that, but I'll tell you, I have not had an insurance company not pay because there's nothing radiographically from a calculus point of view. None. X-rays are required because you have to send them just like you have to send them for a crown or an extraction, but they're not what's utilized. And the funny thing is so many people think about X-rays and talk about X-rays. It's almost like this little myth or scapegoat that insurance companies are happy to let us think about because then it gets us away from the true answer, which is a solid perio chart is what gets you paid. And if you don't have that, it doesn't matter how good your x-rays are, they're not going to pay it. A good example I have, um, you know, there was a dentist who posts a lot of stuff on Facebook and he does a lot of great work. But one day he complained that he had this patient that had severe perio and the claim was denied. Well, the problem was his x-rays showed such severe perio. I mean, we're talking about, you look at it, you could easily say, oh, there's like nine to 12 millimeter pockets here. There's calculus for days on literally every spot on the tooth. It's a no-brainer. But because it was such a no-brainer, he decided not to get a perio chart at all. Like, And therefore, the claim wasn't paid. I'm sitting here going... No, that's a requirement. Like, if you don't check the box, insurance will not even process the claim. It's denied without anybody ever looking at it. Like, yeah. it, that is such a, a major requirement. It's like if you didn't send x-rays at all, insurance is just not going to process that claim. Mm -hmm. So, you have to have it regardless. Now, granted, I would also say state board kind of requires that one too. So, <laughs> right. you might have other issues. But it's... The periochart is number one. AAP says the periochart is number one. All hygienists and dentists that are actually trained in perio know periochart is number one. The x-ray hides a lot. Like You can't see a ton. Plus, as you and I, I know, have talked about, 
it's not the calculus we're trying to get off. Right. It's the biofilm. Yep. And that doesn't show up on an x-ray. No, and even there's a, as we know, there's a difference in what actually shows up on the x-ray and what's actually there. There's a, what, like a 36% difference of what it is showing up radiographically. So it's probably a lot more than what you're even seeing on the radiograph. But again, to your point, to our point that we made that one night in St. Louis, it's about the biofilm. <laughs> and I, I just, I, when I heard that, it's just, I, I would just die inside because it's, no, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be the calculus. You have to make sure that you have a complete period chart and people would say, well, I did all the numbers. Look, look, look at this. I'm like, you have a whole line that only has like two ones in it. Well, those are the areas that had recession. I'm like, well, what about all the other areas? They had nothing. Mm -hmm. Well, why didn't you put zero? I don't, I don't have to. There's nothing. Yes, you do. It looks incomplete to them. They can make up anything they want. It could, anybody could go in and type in anything unless you fill the field in. So please fill in your, your gingival margins so you can have an accurate representation of your CAL. And they can also tell if you have inadequate attached gingiva, which is equal to or less than one millimeter of attached gingiva. So Anyway, I just, I got on my soapbox because I, I people look at me like I'm crazy because I, they, they think, no, you don't need to put that. I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, AAP says yes. State board says yes. And then insurance companies say yes. So it's like, it's not about insurance. It's just insurance knows that if you have what's considered poor documentation, then they don't feel the obligation to even process mm. the claim period. So you get an automatic denial. And that's the funny part is if you don't provide literally complete stuff, they're not looking at everything else. They will just deny. Yeah. They'll just reject and be like, no, nah, I'm good. Yep. It's like, yeah. And so that's why, it, again, it's the perio chart every time. Yeah. A complete perio chart. And um, also AAP staging and grading, is that required for it to be, for it to be written somewhere? Or what are you finding with that? Occasionally, yeah. And so we always put it. Now, I still utilize the old version of staging grading. So I still talk about chronic and acute and mild, moderate, severe. I don't use the grade one, grade two, grade three. Um, but it doesn't matter. Either one will work. It's just you have to have some form of diagnosis. I mean, we're doctors. Like, that's what we do is we diagnose stuff. The thing I think is a challenge in dentistry is unlike medicine, we focus more on the treatment and less on the diagnosis. And so when it comes to something like perio, that's really truly more a bacterial disease, we need to focus on that. What is the true diagnosis? Um, and yeah, now, will all claims ask for that? No, but when they do ask for it and you don't have it, that's another thing on the checklist that they're going to go, nope, not on the checklist. You could have everything else, but they're still not going to process. Yeah. So just always have it. It's, it's super easy to do. I mean, it, either state, either grading scale that you go by is not that difficult to understand. Right. Just, I don't know. I'm just an old dentist now that I still go by. You're not an old dentist. <laughs> I know what you mean. It's the, the 2017 guidelines are, when you look at them, it's, wow, okay, how do I make sense of this? Because it seems like a different way of looking at things. But I'm with you. As long as you're, as long as you're calling it how it is, and there's a diagnosis that's present, therefore, you know there's a, there's a case for that. I also 
I also talk a lot about the 4346, which didn't used to be reimbursed as much, of course, but I've, I find that, and you tell me your opinion with proper documentation, intraoral photos for, you know, for the patient, for patient education, and also documenting disease status over time and healing, hopefully, is what you want. Then you're putting all of those things together and you're able to say, there's, there's scaling in the presence of gingivitis, which is not healthy. Therefore, it warrants this. But where I really um, encourage folks and clinicians to hone in on is, is there radiographic bone loss? Is there radiographic? Because even that loss of lamina dura that starts to happen, what is your experience in which is the initial stages of lamina dura? Do insurance companies call that bone loss? Most insurance companies have some form of length requirements loss. So lamina dura, I mean, what would you call that? 0.1, 0.2 millimeters thick? They're not going to call that significant bone loss. Now, from an AAP point of view, at that point, you should potentially be looking at scaling group planning. From an insurance reimbursement point of view, you may not be. Um so that that's always the challenge is those early stage cases. And those are the cases for us. They're almost always under 25. We just have the patient pay completely out of pocket up front because we know there's such a discrepancy on insurances paying it. We still file it. We still try. And if they pay, great. The patient gets money back. But those early stage cases, we, you know, we already know we're going to have such a challenge. The patient pays up, so up front 100%. Okay, so you you walk me through the conversation with the patient in that scenario. You have an aggressive form of perio that is much earlier than most people have. You can smell it. I mean, and usually this is us talking to parents because almost always the parents involved at this point in the child's life because they're still under 25. Um, and in order to treat this, this is what we need to do. But since you are a atypical aggressive juvenile case, there's a good chance insurance is not going to want to help with this, which is sucks and it's horrible and stupid, but that's the policy you have. We will try absolutely to file it and try to get everything possible. I just want to give you the adequate you know, thought process and hope that the level of reimbursement is what we're talking about, which is usually nothing. Yeah. Okay. I like it. I mean, that's all you can do is, I mean, we treat the disease. We don't treat the insurance company. That's right. Yeah, there's many offices that I've worked with that will bill them after and wait for it. But I think the the better thing to do is just let them know up front, we're going to take this portion now. And then if they happen to reimburse, we'll cut you a check back or we can apply it. We'll call you to ask you what you want us to do with this so we can we can do whatever and apply it however you would like to do that. It's crazy to me, though, that offices will bill after the fact. Like, for one, what do you do when you get a surprise bill? Let's say you take your car to the shop and you're taking it for just a random routine maintenance. And then they find something and they spend $2,500. And then they tell you, by the way, to get your car back, you need to pay $2,500. We didn't tell you about. Are you going to be all that happy with that car shop? I mean, that's not any different than what you just talked about. So I, I surprise bills are the number one things that piss people off. Mm -hmm. like, and so I don't recommend ever giving somebody a surprise bill, even a dollar, if you can help it. 
So if you aren't certain insurance isn't going to pay, I would tell the patient to pay up front. I mean, that's the rule of everything to get happy patients because, man, collections are not easy. Refunds are simple. Collections are hard. Mm -hmm. And it's the number one reason patients leave offices. Yeah, no, that's that's a very good point. I, I remember, I, I often think that 4346 is underutilized in practices, meaning meaning that they're doing just bloody profies when there is clearly... I will agree with you. There's too many bloody profies. I would actually throw in the caveat, I think 4346 is actually overutilized. Mm, tell me more. So, by the code definition itself, it says in the absence of periodontal disease. And yet, I've seen so many times where people are using 4346 out of fear of telling the patient they truly have damage Hmm. and need SRP. And therefore, it's the new FMD, which was overutilized because offices did not want to call it perio. And so that's my caution with the code is 4346 and FMD should both be very rare codes, in my opinion, based on the way they're written. Because if you look at that x-ray and you see any bone loss, it cannot by definition be a 4346. That's correct. And correct. Which also means I somebody today on one of the groups had talked about, well, you know, if you do an SRP and then later the patient wants to flip between Profi and perio maintenance, it shouldn't be a Profi, it should be a 4346. I'm sitting here going, nope. Like the second you have an SRP, you can never, ever, ever be a 4346 ever again. Yeah. By code definition. That's it. Now, Profi doesn't have that definition. So that's where there's that little gray area. But personally, I'm on the side of once perio maintenance, always perio maintenance. Yeah. Because you can't get that attachment back. You are not going to regrow bone around those root surfaces. And if a root surface is exposed, that means it's always SRP or perio maintenance for life. All right. Say that again. If a root surface is exposed, even, but wait, but wait, even if there's never been an SRP, but there, an SRP had to have happened first, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. So the one caveat is you have somebody who's a severe clincher and grinder. Mm-hmm. And because of that, they've damaged the buccal side of the bone and lost bone there. And But there's no myofilm problem. There's no pocketing problem. There's just recession. Okay, fine. That's bone loss that's not due to perio. Right. But that's the only example that I guess maybe GERD might cause it some. But, you know, that's what, 2 3% of cases of bone loss. Everything else is a bacterial problem. Yeah. So once you have root exposure due to bacterial infection, you always will have that root exposure due to bacterial infection. Therefore, you can never go back to a 4346, a 1110. Technically, I suppose an FMD, because an FMD is not really distinctive of one versus the other. But at that point, you know, once an SRP, always a perio maintenance, just based on the code itself. Absolutely. Thank you. I wish I had a gavel. We settled it. <laughs> We're getting a gavel. We're still going to argue about it. I mean, that, which is fine. I mean, I, no, no, no. It's great. I, I think that I think that it's absolutely, you know, that's it's aligned with what I teach. And the most common question that I get because I teach about clear liners and Invisalign and Itero and 
and occlusal disease and, and all of that. And it's, well, how could it be stage three, you know, periodontal AAP classification if there's never been any biofilm, there's never been any perio and it's like, okay, well, look at the whole mouth, look at the history, look at, look at everything. And it's, it's not talked about that often. So it, it makes it muddy and people don't understand and they try to make sense of it. And then they get rejected insurances and frustrated patients. And, you know, if we can understand it ourselves, I think it sets us all up for better patient care because the patient stays, <laughs> they're able to understand what's going on. They know that you're, you have that transfer of trust that's present. Well, I think the biggest challenge is we often still let insurance drive what we do which is the absolute wrong way of thinking of it. And everybody kind of knows it. I mean, we've all heard, you know, code what you do, treat the patient, not the insurance company. And yet almost every day, most offices do the exact opposite. Meaning, why would an office switch between perio maintenance and profi? Insurance reimbursement. That's the only reason, like literally the only reason to do it. Yep. Why would they... Or I've heard some people say, well, we want to charge a little less. Then charge less, but don't change your code. I mean, discount all day long if you want. I think that's crazy, but still discount all day long if you want. But don't change the code because you want to charge a different amount. Like, just charge a different amount. Um, and so that's the thing is, again, once the diagnosis, always a diagnosis. And the problem is, I think too many of us are have the mentality or we're trained or I don't know where it comes from that... Again, in dentistry, we look too much towards the treatment and not enough towards the diagnosis. Mm. And again, like we talked about, there can be bone loss for multiple reasons. So, what's the diagnosis? Why is the bone lost? It's not just lost because we have to do an SRP. No. I mean, you know, bone loss with two, three millimeter pockets, no bleeding whatsoever. It doesn't require an SRP. There's no biofilm there that's a problem. Yeah. But there's something going on. Yeah. What are the risk factors? And then... And then I always say too, put in mild, moderate, severe carries, you know, the Canberra, use Canberra, mild, moderate, severe carries risk. I mean, because that has a code, you know, put it in there, add it all together, add it up, let them know what you did for that patient over a lifespan, because they have these different codes and it tells that story mm -hmm. of their care over a lifetime. So Travis, I know that you and I could probably talk about this for about three more hours. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I spent a whole day and a half doing conference on hygiene and insurance. So, Yeah, well, you never know. Coming to a city near you, Travis and I may show up somewhere. Hmm, TBD. <laughs> but uh, it's been so nice having you on the show. If you guys want more of Travis and his noggin, his brilliance, you can go to dentalinsuranceguy.com. His information is also in the show notes of our program. Travis, any final words for our audience? I would say dentistry is not the easiest thing in the world to do. I mean, there's so many aspects we have to take care of. You know, it's patient mentality. It's the body that doesn't always respond the same way. It's working in a small area, back-breaking, neck-breaking work. And so, if dentistry is not easy, then shouldn't we absolutely get paid for everything we do? And that's the biggest point I have to people is get paid for what you do. If you're a hygienist or a dentist, code correctly, bill correctly, and get reimbursement or payment from the patient for that hard work. I mean, 
I think dentistry is way too hard to just give away for free and, you know, be giving up percentages of things that we can't get covered or paid or write-offs or anything else now. Yeah. Know your worth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it comes down to that and don't, don't write off your worth Yeah, as well. So good final words. All right. I will, I'm sure I'll see you soon at one of the upcoming meetings. It's been such a pleasure having you on to our audience. Thank you so much for all that you do to care for our patients in our community. If you wouldn't mind, give us five stars on Apple. You know, Apple is what matters. Hop on over to YouTube, like, share, subscribe, and love on us and to all the communities that you know who would like love to hear more of us and, and the Dill Insurance guy. So you guys have a great weekend. Have a great turkey day. We'll see you soon.